0: It it was like that race you win, but you keel over at the the finish line and die, right? Because you put everything into it. Are you looking to escape your full-time job? Do you feel stuck, strapped for time, and don't know where to start? Well, you're in the right place,
1: because this is the Leaving Corporate Podcast, where we talk with regular people that left their job by building a business and a life they love. Now, here's your host, your corporate escape chaperone, Greg Hickman. What's happening, Escape Artists? I hope all is well. Um, As you might have noticed, this week we are not splitting this episode into two. uh, As if you've been following the show, we do typically a Tuesday, or sorry, Monday and Thursday show, and we have um, you know the first part of our guest journey in the on Monday, and then the second half on Thursday. Well, mixing things up here a little bit, like we always do, and. We got the straight-up interview with a good friend of mine, Rob Woodbridge from Untether.tv, another mobile marketing mind. And... Uh, I love his story. He's up there in Canada. And, you know, like I said, a good friend of mine, we actually are co hosts of a show called the Mobile Marketing Minute, which is aired on both the Mobile Mix podcast and his own site over at untether.tv. It's a video show and audio. Um, so you can definitely check that out there. But I uh, want to dive into his journey as he left a really, really great job and organization to start his own thing at untether.tv. Let's just dive right in. Everybody. Rob, thank you so much for joining us, man. We really appreciate it. Greg, it's my pleasure, man. Can't wait to do this. Awesome. So, Rob, right now you are the man at Untethered.tv, a media show that has three different shows, web-based TV shows and a podcast uh, focused around some mobile topics, which we'll get to. But you weren't always doing that. You came from the corporate world, right? I did. Uh, you were still involved in mobile. You were the VP of operations at a mobile gaming company and even a CEO. So I want to dive into that. Okay. I want to talk about that first. So first let's talk about the gaming company, um, VP of operations at a mobile gaming company. What, what was that like?
0: What did you, what were you doing? What was your role? Well, you know, it's funny because I started at the company when we were about nine people um, in a tiny little place here in Ottawa on the Byward Market. And, uh, you know, had a really substantial relationship with this uh, emerging company called RIM back in the day, 1999, 2000, 2001. And uh, we grew the company to about 150 people at its peak. And it, it kind of goes through every cycle that you can imagine of a startup like that. It was absolute mayhem for most of the time. And my role was to contain the mayhem Control the expenses and also report into the CEO, who was a you know the primary investor and also ran the company. Just absolutely like it's it was insane. It was far too much growth, far too quickly, and put a lot of pressure on everybody, including myself.
1: So, I mean, in three and a half years that you were there, what like what sort of pressure? I mean, you like what kind of sacrifice? Not sacrifices, but like what were the circumstances of that? Like what happened to you? The way that you showed up at work and maybe showed up at home after the fact,
0: <laughs> <laughs> if, if I if I made it home, yeah, you know it was, um, like you know it, as everything at the very beginning of this was a great challenge. It was so much fun, and it was like who would want to work for a game company, right? Especially in an emerging space. And back then we were building Java games for feature phones, so we were working with Telus and Rogers up here in Canada, AT and T in the states, and and it was. Awesome. Everything was a new win. Everything was there was high potential everywhere. But as you can imagine, you you do this for so long, and it, you start to uh, you know build in the stress of actually uh, babysitting. Almost it was it was like that. It was like you had all these people that were reporting into you. You had all these responsibilities around numbers and deliverables that it it started to wear on you. And you know about midway through. You start looking for new opportunities because that excitement, that joy of getting up in the morning and getting to work, just was not there anymore, and that just sucks when that happens. Because you might be there physically, but mentally, you know, probably around year two, two and a half, I checked out. It was I was done there, and uh, I just didn't know it enough at the time.
1: Um, so, as a VP, I mean, I would uh, I would guess that you were making a
0: pretty good salary at that point. I think it was, uh, you know apropos to the state of the state of the company. But yeah, I mean, uh, it certainly wasn't hurting no debt. Um, you know, uh, new car, uh, bought a house, did everything that you were supposed to do in that time frame with that kind of money. Yeah. And had equity in the company. Okay. And you, you know, but st- still it's like, you know, it's like the travel bug I always say is that when you get the travel bug, when you see a different country, you want to see the next different country and you do everything you can to get back there. And I think that, born an entrepreneur as I was, it was, it was very hard to come in and do the same thing over and over and over each day and then come home late at night, uh, you know, miss dinner with, uh, with my family. It was just my wife and I at that point. But, um, you, you know, there's, there's this ability to qu- quickly lose connection with people and started to feel that at, at that moment.
1: So you said you were born an entrepreneur. Can yeah. you explain that? Cause I know like a lot of people are like, Oh, I was, you know, Gary Vaynerchuk is like, I'm, I was ripping out flowers and selling them to the back, to, back to the person I was selling baseball cards. Like, I didn't do any of that stuff. Um,
0: what, what, when you say born as an entrepreneur, what, is, what does that mean? Well, I, you know, my father used to say it so succinctly for me, which was very clear. I mean, and, you know, I couldn't concentrate in school. I was always creating initiatives. And, uh, you know, he, he was very worried that at one point I would, I would either be a very successful entrepreneur, which was great a businessman or i would be a very successful teamster um or underground figure because he he's he said and i don't remember this quite the way he does but i'll use his version of it is that uh, i got one you remember you know those penny saver routes where you you get you deliver flyers for like a quarter of a penny um and this yeah, was very early on i think maybe i was 9 or 10 and what i did was i i started doing that myself and i thought there's got to be a better more efficient way of delivering these these flyers So I, I, you know, I hired some younger kids, six and seven year old kids to be able to go and and deliver the flyers. And I would give them a portion of my page and every week. And then I started getting more and more papers. So I, I, you know, I I asked for more and more uh, roots and roots and roots. And uh, my father thought it was very odd that I could deliver these in 45 minutes, you know, the thousand papers. And he decided to follow me one day and he followed me to a street corner where I handed out all the newspapers and then just sat back and waited for them all to be delivered. And he put an end to that pretty quickly. So that was the earliest kind of entrepreneurship initiative. All right, all right. Yeah, and uh you know I I've sold uh cheesecakes to restaurants here, baked overnight and uh and delivered in the morning. Uh, you know, I've I actually sold music systems uh, that I d- developed for restaurants and so it just kind of escalated to that point and and uh and I was never really satisfied with a job unless I was the one that was running it.
1: All right. So VP of operations, you said two and a half years in, you were over it and checked out. So there, you were there for another year and a half. What was going on in that last year and a half, or that another year? What was going on then?
0: Well, uh, fires. You know, it was just uh, constant fires. And, and uh, if you've ever been in a startup in that stage, that early growth, it's like molten lava. And, and you know, all you're doing is... Is putting things away, putting the other, you're solving other people's problems, and and it, it just it just weighs down on you. So I spent, I, I did my job. It was exactly what we were supposed to do. We grew very quickly, um, and uh, grew revenue very quickly, and became much more efficient and put processes in place. But that wasn't really me. So you know, those last uh, that last little bit was very much a uh, me trying to figure out what my next role inside of the company was, and uh, you know there wasn't one clearly. So what did you start doing to find the next gig? Because I know you said you
1: then became a CEO at at a company called Rove. Um, (laughs) How did you go from VP of operations, a a year of being checked out, to becoming the CEO of this other company?
0: I spent time, so part of part of what you've got to do when you're in that situation is go and find something that fulfills you outside of work. It's, it's sad, uh, you know, but, you know, some people go to sports, and, and what I did was I joined the board of advisors of this little company called Idokoro at the time, and... um so I would I would spend some of my days, my evenings, my weekends with them, helping them with their strategy. And, you know, helping the president at the time with their with uh, their strategy, working with their marketing group, and and um, really you know re-energized me uh, because it was a new challenge with a young company, five people, kind of huge market in front of them, at the opening of this mobile world that we we kind of take for granted right now. So. That's, that's what I did is that I, I did my work, but then I found great satisfaction outside of work, helping other companies. And this was just one of those companies that landed on my lap, so to speak.
1: And how, um, like how much time did that take while in that last year, while you were helping these guys?
0: Probably about, uh, 15 hours a week, I would say, uh, you know, it, it was pretty consistent that way, uh, scaling a little bit more near, near towards the end, obviously.
1: And you were, you were getting, uh,
0: you know, paid for that obviously. No, no, I volunteered. No, no, no that oh, was okay. no, no payment for, for that. That was my soul satisfaction. If you, if you understand what I mean, uh, government, yeah, yeah, yeah. government workers understand that very clearly is that they, they need their, sa- to satisfy their soul because their work is not doing it for them. Okay. Okay.
1: So, um, then that allowed for the transition into, um, into Rove.
0: Yeah. You know, it, it, it was not as smooth as, as I had hoped. Um, you know, the owner at the time, the the main uh, financier thought that the company was going to, was past its prime, had already met its its revenue marks and was on its slow decline to death. And I argued to him that, no, this was at the very beginning of its incline um, and uh, he should not put a bullet in it. And I said, listen, give me six months inside to turn it around and I'll show you that this is a company that's hasn't hit its growth apex yet. It was just before it. So it was a, you know, that transition was not smooth. It was ugly because, um, you know, the, the founder uh, who's not, who wasn't active in the company walked in and, and fired the president. And it was a shock because he was a very humble, familial, um, fun-loving man um, who had taken nothing and built something out of it, uh, but just couldn't take it to the next step. So it was not a good seamless transition. It was jarring for the company, that's for sure.
1: So, question: You said, um, you know, you you, in that last role as a VP of operations, you, you know, you don't think you would have taken things seriously. This is not the exact language you use, but unless you were running it yourself, Yet, then how did you? How do you go from that feeling to then finding yourself running a company? Well, like yeah, entertaining another role, I I guess, is (laughs) running someone else running the company. As the CEO, that, that still kind of qualified, or that at least piqued your interest enough to not go the whole full entrepreneurial route?
0: Yeah, it's a great question. Um, I, you know, I'm certainly enamored with the title. Um, I, you know, I put a lot of pride in being a CEO of a of a company. Um, I, but quite honestly, what I looked at was opportunity. I thought, you know, I this is something that I can do. There's a lot of pressure, a lot of challenges with what Rove was going through at the time. Um, you know, confidence in the market. There wasn't a lot of uh, demand for what the product was, but we, we all knew it was coming, at least I did. And so I, I looked at this as a can't-fail opportunity, to be honest. I said, look, you have to be an idiot not to take this job simply because all of these things are aligning. The stars are aligning. There's an opportunity for you. The industry is emerging. This is a technology that there's already proven demand for with the clients that they already had. The team was okay. It wasn't great, but it was something that you could build around very clearly. And um, and this was kind of emerging. I was maybe, I don't know, even know, 35? Yeah, 35 at the time. And I thought, this is where I was supposed to be. And I wanted to take this company public and and be a dominant company in the city of Ottawa. So it was hubris, man. I thought, I, I got to be an idiot not to take this job. All right. So So you took the job and you
1: were there for four years, so kind of i mean what what got you to the point that um or at what point in those four years did you start even kind of having doubts of where it was gonna go or your next step or thinking about what your next step was gonna be how did what happened
0: well, those four years were, were amazing, Greg. I'm not going to lie. I mean, I had an absolute blast being the CEO of that company. Um, and, you know, for a number of reasons, some of it was ego satisfaction, which you, you know, you're a CEO of a company. Any CEO who says that he doesn't have an ego is wrong because you occupy that title. And with it comes all of the pressure. So I, I, there, there isn't a moment that I, uh, I took my eye off that company. It wasn't like with Magmic, the game company, where I thought I'm done here this was really something that I'd shaped and I felt very much like an owner at that time. And, and so it, it was, it was incredible. I loved every moment of it. And, and this is where the, the story gets a little odd is that I would never have left. That was, I had chosen that and maybe I would have left a year or two later, but at, I, I didn't want to leave when I did.
1: So what happened?
0: <laughs> uh, I, I had a difference of opinion with the founder, right? And this happens all the time. Um, You know, it it was a – he had a different view of what the company was going to be in his head and, and then what I did. I was working towards the original vision we had discussed four years before. And somewhere along the line, bad stuff happened to his other companies and put him in a spot where he had no other choice but to be a little bit more conservative than I wanted to be with this company and uh so i believe he lost confidence in in me as a ceo and uh and and when that happens it's time to move on right there's just no no hard feelings you just got to pack your stuff up and and get out um so that's what happened and it was just all around growth direction I I was not interested in creating a widget shop. Uh, I was not interested in creating a company that was uh, just around to pay out a dividend. I wanted to grow a huge goddamn company. I wanted to take this company public. And and that was not what what the owner wanted. Um, And somewhere along the line, our paths just completely went off track. And I kept on... Sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. I kept on going down one path that I thought we'd agreed on, and he uh, his mindset changed, um, and we just could never come back to uh, to meeting in the middle.
1: How long was that sort of kind of I don't want to say downward spiral, but like how long did that last? Like where you realized that you guys weren't seeing eye to eye. um, Like was that like very short or was that kind of dragged out? It
0: was, it was very short. It was very short. Now it was press, it was, you know, it was precipitated by, uh, some challenges that this guy was having with some other companies. And, um, so, you know, it just, it started, I would say around, uh, Christmas time. Um, and I was done by March of the following year. So, you know, December was really kind of when it, it dawned on, uh, on me that we were so far off. Um, January, February were let's see what we can get done. Let's see how we can fix this, and then March was uh, it literally culminated in in me presenting him a plan uh, on a Friday, and then saying, "Listen, I want you to read this over for the next week, and then I'm going to come in next Friday, and we're going to talk about it." And uh, I showed up the following Friday, hadn't even opened up the document, so in my chest, I knew it. Uh, you know you, you you work with these work with the same person over and over for so long. I knew he wouldn't read it. Knew it wasn't of interest to him to take that path. So, in my chest pocket was my letter of resignation, and I resigned on the spot. So, so
1: uh, before we get to that, yeah, because I want to get—that's awesome. Yeah, uh, I, I want to get to that. Um, the so set Dece- What year is this? December two thousand and nine. December two thousand nine. Okay, so, I mean, you were just. Love and life up to that point, and like December is when things sort of hit you, and you're like, something's
0: not right. Yeah, you, you know, uh, we had uh, we we're, we're coming off our our best year financially ever for the company. It was a struggle. I'm not going to lie. Like uh, 2009 was not a great year for anyone anywhere in the world. Mm-hmm. Canada was a little bit shielded because of, uh, you know, banking policies and, and a good governor, um, banking governor. Uh, but most of our clients were international anyway. So we felt, we felt the pinch. We worked very hard to break the numbers and we kind of, it, it was like that race you win, but you keel over at the, at the finish line and die, right? Cause you put everything into it. Um, so we were feeling that in the last half of, uh, of the year or the last quarter of the year. And, um, And, you know, the team had grown and, uh, you know, I think we did a small round of layoffs, maybe seven people around that time. Uh, And I'll tell you about the the worst layoff I ever did during that time uh, in a second. Um, But, you know, so there was a lot of – we were seeing signs of of, – not tension – a toughness ahead. So mm-hmm. you, you kind of add that to the stress of, of, uh, you know, a CEO and a founder not communicating very effectively, which is so very important. And, um, and, and you, you run the risk of doing what, uh, what happened. You get uh, a little bit down on yourself and, uh, yeah, you know, you, you end up making these kinds of decisions. Um, but you know, at the time, I, I mean, I had a line of credit that was into the company. Um, my financial person had a line of credit that was into the company. um, because our, our founder had, uh, had, had made some bad decisions and had not enough of his own capital to put in the company. And, you know, so early December, I came to him and said, listen, we're short here because of something that you did. Uh, we need to fill this back hole with, with, with a little bit of cash. And he looked at me and said, "I, I don't have it. Um, and I, you know, I don't know if anybody's ever been in that situation. It's not my company. We put our blood, sweat and tears, our own money into the company. We've sacrificed a little bit of pay. Um, uh, we've we've you know sacrificed our lives to this point and uh and you to look up and say that there's you know no there's no money to be had uh you're on your own um it was a decision at that moment right where this company was either going to go um deep 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 into a hole or something needed to change drastically so you you take what so, you go ahead
1: yeah, so that was December so yep up until that point had you Been thinking at all about any starting anything else, or was like it kind of that time in that December period where you're like, "All right, like maybe I need to start thinking about other opportunities at some point," or did that even enter into your mind yet?
0: No, no, Uh, Greg. You know, I it was such dedication to to that company. You know, I I talked to my lawyer. I mean, I'm on the. I was a a director for the company. My house was at risk. Uh, You know, the livelihood of my family was at risk at that moment, but. You, you get so captivated by the opportunity. And and as CEOs, you kind of thrive on the challenge and it's ego. I'm going to get us out of here for sure. Get on my back. I'm going to take us through this. And um, so, you know, it hadn't crossed my mind. As I said, I was very dedicated. Uh, it started to creep into my mind um, January, February. At that moment, it was like, uh, you know, uh, now I'm worried about getting my money out, making sure that all the taxes are paid, get everything right in order to be able to go and uh, and exit gracefully from this company. We're
1: at, kind of going December into the new year. Were there any um, preliminary conversations that you were having, say, with your wife about like how you felt about everything, what was going on, the potential risk? I mean, you said that there was a lot at stake there with your
0: house. Yep. Like, were you
1: already having those conversations? What were those like?
0: Yeah, they weren't good. They were not good. Um, Now, somewhere along the line, like four months into this job, um, my my twin boys were born. Mm -hmm. So you can imagine the stress that was already put on to a very young family with two kids, not just one, but two kids. Um, And I was bound and determined not to be an absent parent. Um, And uh, that didn't come true. I mean, uh, sure, I was up every night feeding the kids, but I never – I didn't make it home for dinner all of 2009, 365 days of dinner. Oh, yeah. And you can imagine what the stress that puts on your relationships. And and not only that is that, I, I knew something had to change. One night when uh, when my wife Sandra, bless her heart, she said, um, "You'll be home for dinner. Don't be late tonight. Six o'clock. Don't be late." And and of course it's it's winter in Ottawa. It's no, you know late November. It's like. Struggling to get home. I leave the office on time, pile up on the highway to get home. I get home. It's like 610. I, you know, I try to open the front door. It's locked, right? Like, you know, key latch from inside. So I thought, oh, that happens sometimes uh, for her safety. Go around the back door and they're sitting there having dinner and uh, the door was latched again from the inside. Um, And she wasn't getting up. And I knew it, you know, it doesn't take a lot. I'm not a smart guy, but at that very moment, I knew that something has to change here, or the 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 catastrophe that was emerging would also not only include the company that I was running, the relationship I had with the founder, which was which was a very long relationship as well as the relationship with my wife and my kids. Um, so it all kind of descended at that time right around Christmas time of uh, you
1: were and so were you just like sitting outside while they were finishing dinner just thinking about all this stuff? It was
0: just it, I think that was the opening of that of that uh, of that train of thought right that was the catalyst for me is that uh what am i sacrificing here just everywhere not only do my kids get surprised when i'm home for dinner or home for the weekend, uh, but the relationship with uh, my wife, uh, who had we'd been together at that point, I think seventeen years. Uh, so it's it's you kind of it, it as I said, I'm not a smart guy, but at that moment it all hit at one time, and self doubt starts to creep in, and uh, and and certainly the decisions that you made leading up to that start to creep in, and whether you made the right decisions, and the outcome is, oh crap, I got to change something, something's got to change, or or I'm gonna end up like this. You know, three hundred pound uh, guy who has a heart attack at forty, right? Mm. So, okay, so you said kind of January going into February.
1: That's when you started maybe exploring some other things. What yeah. were you? What were you exploring? Um, were you looking for other potential opportunities to go work somewhere else, or is this when you
0: started? Maybe exploring what you could do on your own. This, uh, y- you know, I was looking for anything. It was pure desperation, right at that moment. It's like anything to get me out of this situation. Um, and it wasn't. It wasn't that I was running from it. Um, I, you know, I would have stayed on forever. I just didn't think that uh, there was any way to recover from in the relationship with the founder. So, in January of that year, I did my very first Untether TV interview. It wasn't an Untether interview at the time. Um, we were looking for content to position Rove as thought leaders in the mobile space. And this was the idea. I'd watched a bunch of uh, Andrew Warner's uh, episodes on mixergy.com and, and uh, was inspired. I thought, like, that guy's, he can do it. I can do it. He's not that good. Turns out he's very good. But um, uh, so I, I, I did my first five episodes of uh, what has become on tether.tv in that January of 2010. And, uh, and so inadvertently at that moment had completely become engrossed with doing that, uh, at, at the risk of all else and decided that that's what I wanted to do. Um, so, so between January
1: and February, how many, you said you had done five in January. How were you doing more in February? Like how much did untethered.tv start to take over your life when you weren't at this job?
0: Consumed. I mean, every waking moment, that's all I could think about was uh, finding new innovative entrepreneurs and CEOs and founders to talk about the space. It was it was my new obsession. And, you know, still to this day is an obsession. Um, but it it, it it just took over everything. So my day job was my day job at that moment. My passion, my soul fulfillment was uh, was on TV starting literally, you know, I didn't know what it was in January. I originally called it Every Laptop Left Behind, um, which was a terrible name and f- <laughs> far too long. Uh, and it wasn't until, uh, you know, I handed my letter of resignation that I looked at it seriously and thought, what is this going to be called? And, uh, you know, and that was in March and 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 kind of eventually evolved into Untethered TV.
1: When so when you started sitting there recording these five episodes in January. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, what? uh
1: did you start sharing what you were doing with your wife or did, was she like, what the heck are you doing? Like,
0: <laughs> yes.
1: What, what what were those conversations like?
0: Uh, you know, um, I think they were awkward for me. Right. And, uh, they were, uh, they were uncomfortable, um, because I was uh, a CEO, um, in, in my basement with a crappy Skype camera, um, doing recording, um, you know video episodes of something that that it uh, was very had very little interest to anybody at the time maybe still i'm not i'm not sure I'll, I'll let you know um so it was it was a you know i i was embarrassed about it uh you know i kept it very quiet i you know i told her about it um she's non-judgmental um which is exactly what you need um and, and a, a rock, but I did not tell my family, uh, you know I was too embarrassed to tell my family. I wouldn't tell my father or my mother or my brothers that I was doing this. Um, I was almost uh, embarrassed to tell the people who I was doing the interview with because they were friends at the beginning of what I was thinking of. So I always positioned it under Rove at that time. So yeah, it was uh, I thought it was humiliating. Um, but I knew that I wanted to do it. so I don't know how you balance those. But my wife was the first one who knew it. And then, you know, I'd say like, oh, I'm going down for another untether. And uh, I'd feel ashamed. You know, it's like, hey, you know what? I'm going to go and look at porn in my basement is what I felt like I was saying. Right. It was that kind of reaction. Um, And then years later, my mother would hear an episode, uh, you know, when I came out with what I was doing, so to speak, and and I, it was kind of one of these introductions that were way over the top. And uh, she said, um, you know, something I'll never forget. It was like, uh, you know, well, that is way too over the top. That's not how, that's not how you are. That's not who you are. And then again, I went into this kind of self conscious coma around what I was doing with Untether. And um, so it's amazing how how the little the little uh nudges of positive in a positive nature move you forward but the the little negative pieces just knock yeah. you back to when you're like 6 years old and peeing your pants <laughs> it's <laughs> crazy
1: uh, um so we, we, were you were you monetizing an, untether at all at this point like that January February March no you, okay no so all right so we we'll jump forward now we're in March and you kind of give your give that plan to your founder mm-hmm. and say, read it. I'm coming back next Friday. And you obviously knew that there was the likelihood that he wasn't going to read it. I mean, you prepared your resignation letter. Yeah. Um, what, what What did that feel like? I mean, like... It was frightening. It was... Doubt it. Just, I mean, you clearly... It seems like you were confident you were going to have to use that resignation letter. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Just you know, as you work with somebody for so long, you get to know them quite well. And I'd worked with this guy for many years before, uh, since the late '90s. So it was it was a, a long standing relationship. And people don't change overnight. And I still have a huge amount of respect for this guy. He's one of the most resilient entrepreneurs that I know, and and a mega multi millionaire to boot. Um, so, but I knew it at that moment, and and I had some advisors who were who were literally as I was as I was walking, like letter in hand to almost uh, you know assuredly resign they were calling me saying don't do it meet me for coffee right now don't do it don't do it you're going to regret this don't do it and and um even through those calls i still had uh you know i had the courage to, to walk up those stairs and sit with him and realize that there was just such a gulf between us that it just would never work it just at this point I, there's nothing right uh no trust um my confidence in him is shaky at best and um and he didn't even give my plan the time of day to read it there was just no way that this could work how how can you go on so i was th- that was my test and um unfortunately so failed
1: did you um your, did your wife know about this plan yeah yeah and how did she feel about it i mean like
0: nervous as hell yeah. um
1: i mean what was what was the plan I mean, I, mean, <laughs> I mean like did you have savings like did you have some money to to get
0: you by we had, um, we had, I had debt, uh, coming in from the company, like, uh, the company owed me a whack of cash. Cause I'd put it in, um, I, I forfeited, uh, probably about, uh, 12 weeks of pay, um, yeah, that was, that was coming back, um, into me as well. And then we had small savings. We had a house and, and the reason, you know, I had this, like, it's a moment of clarity, Greg, right? Um, I was in with a lawyer and, uh, my lawyer asking, said, like whats what is, what is, what just I'm interested in my range of liabilities here um, and, and because the guy who owned the company was in default with a bunch of stuff and and banks were closing in on him and because I ran a company of his that and I was on the board of directors, I wanted to know what my liability was um, and he he came back and said um, yeah, I mean everything." your liability is everything. You're a director of this company. And for those of you who are listening to this, it is so important to understand what your cap is of liability and, and where it lays. And, and he, you know, he put it very clearly. He said, you have to get out of there and you have to resign and you have to get off the board of directors because there's a risk that you're going to lose your house and, and take the roof away from your, from your family. And, uh, And at that moment, it was, you know, I had that clarity moment in late November when I was locked out of the house. I had a clarity moment when I was in the lawyer's office saying, you know, there's a high risk that you're going to lose your house. And so, you know, when I go home and and I – and when you go home with that kind of news to your wife, um, you can imagine the reaction to this. Uh, You know, we're four years into our house. It's time to – or seven years into our house. It's time to get – it's time to go. It's time to get out of that company quickly. Confidence is shock is rocked at that moment so she knew exactly what i was doing um were you
1: were you guaranteed the money that they owed you or were you scared
0: scared shitless man like uh absolutely Uh, i mean we had small savings we had maybe 90 days of life at at that moment before we would be selling off the car and you know one of the kids not not really but just joking but um but you know there's a um, but at least it, we were in control at that moment, right? When I resigned and um, and it, I absolved myself of the liability of the company and uh, I could go after them for the money that was owed, which is not in my nature, um, but I had confidence. Now, whatever I say about the founder here, uh, he is a man who is an honorable guy and he sticks to what he says. And he said, look, I'm going to get you that money. And I had confidence and faith that he would do it, mm. but no, no backup. And yeah. and we don't come from wealth. So yeah. you really this was a lot of faith and it and it forces you at that po- moment to make some some pretty hard decisions about how you spend money, where you spend money and how you're going to make money.
1: So what was what day was it that you handed him that plan? It was a Friday or, or, or handed him the letter. It was
0: a Friday. It was the first day of the Winter Olympics. So it was it was late February, in fact. And uh February, okay. yeah. And I spent the next 17 days on my couch in a massive state of depression, just eating and watching the Olympics.
1: So when you walked out after you handed him that resignation letter, what did it feel like when you walked out? I mean, what, so what was going through your mind?
0: Um, so, uh, f- f- like the usual stuff that you would have, like, uh, my immediate, when I handed over my letter, the letter, I was shaking, um, mm-hmm. felt like I was going to puke and, uh, and, uh, there was really nothing else to say. I, I handed it off to him and, 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 uh, Turned around and walked out and then um, said, Listen, I'll be, you know, passingly said, I'll, you know, I'm going to, I'll be in to clean out my office on the weekend and literally uh, walked out of there, um, dry heaved a little bit, didn't go back to the office, made my way home and, um, and then curled up in a ball on the couch. Right. And, uh, and I I think maybe for the first time in a long time, slept, slept like the sleep of the dead man.
1: What was the last kind of thought as you were going to sleep that night Were you just, like I mean, did you just kind of pass out? Like, <laughs> do you recall thing? Anything? I mean, were you like, "Oh my god"? Yeah.
0: What have I done? Like, yeah. and and uh, you know, the only thing um, was going through my hair, my head was that like uh, it was like a foghorn. Like, I don't even know if you can if I can swear, but it was just, I, I it was a foghorn of f u c k, just like as loud. Like, what what have I done? All the work that I put into building what I built there, all the people that I was kind of abandoning at that moment. Um, and then, uh, that was it. And then the next morning I woke up and cleaned out my office.
1: So, and then you, so you said the next 17 days, so (laughs) you're, you're, you resigned as CEO, um, 17 days of watching the Olympics are yeah. you working on Untether
0: at this point I, I, I'm, I'm thinking about it yeah and, and I'm doing some interviews but not much uh, you know your mind is my, my mind is basically at this moment a uh, you know an empty vessel right uh, and if you can picture like 17 days worth of you know hair growth on your face and pajamas with 17 days worth of stains. And, and, uh, I'm talking about food stains and, um, <laughs> you, you know, it, like that's, that's what it was like. It was quite literally like, um, slipping into this thought of despair. Like, what am I doing? What did I do that for? There's no going back at this moment. Right. And then in those 17 days, you replay the whole previous three or four years. Um, you, uh, you, you go on this kind of, um, self-righteous track of like they're not going to succeed without me and then you're like they better because they owe me money and, and it was just it was confusing as all hell um but thankfully i had the distraction of canada's uh you know gold gold winning um um gold medal winning hockey team to to keep yeah, me yeah. company. yeah 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 uh, you did yeah
1: i feel like you guys always try to rub that in
0: oh yeah anytime we can we have <laughs> a, we may be inferior in other ways but not in hockey man <laughs>
1: so um what next I mean, like you did you what shook you from all right i got to shave got to put on <laughs> some fresh clothes what like what made you rise back up and what the heck did what were you doing that uh you know that got you back on the recording tons of interviews and what was your what was your game plan
0: well uh, you know to say i had one would be a lie is is it um you know most most entrepreneurs most ceos um obsessive compulsive disorder um i i i looked at this and i thought you know i'm 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 going to i didn't know that untether would exist at this moment so i said all i wanted to do was reach out to a couple of ceos that i had a uh deep admiration for that were running some great mobile companies and uh and just you know talk for 15 minutes or 20 minutes and oddly enough nobody would return my calls right so that's That's when I looked at what I had started to do with this – with Rove and every laptop left behind kind of thing with five interviews. And so I took those five interviews, rebranded, came up with Untethered.tv. A good friend of mine, his name is Jeff Hunt. He built the logo for me back in those days, the same logo from back in that day Um, and and put up Untethered.tv – um, and then reached back out to those guys that I had admired who had said no before. And they all said yes, because I'm, I am know that I'm satisfying their hubris at that moment, right? I, mm. I never turned down an interview um, because of that reason. So they weren't going to either. And then I just dove right into that and I was re-energized. It was like a rebirth at that moment. Uh, and I had no plans. None whatsoever, man. I didn't know how I was going to make money. I didn't know how I was going to live. I didn't know what I was going to do. I just knew that I loved doing this. And uh, I was embarrassed of it uh, because I had gone from a CEO to a podcaster. like <laughs> right. I, I, and that was just my perception. And um, and I thought, I'm not going to tell anybody about this. I'm just going to do it. I, and if people in the city find out about it, so be it. But I'm I'm not going to tell anybody about it. Why do you think you were so embarrassed? I, it was my own hang-up. I couldn't uh, – you know, podcasting, it, maybe it had emerged at that point. I'm not really sure. Um but it was it, it was not uh, so well looked upon in my eyes at that moment. Um, I, you know, I'd always uh, thought that media was, uh, you know, traditional media was a dying breed. And and uh, and I, I didn't know what was going to replace it. But it certainly wasn't the ramblings of, uh, of podcasters. And um, but I, I, for some reason, I kept doing it and I kept doing it and I kept doing it. And uh, I got from really, really, really sucky to just sucky. And uh, I thought, oh, you know, I'll keep going and see what happens. Because everybody said, you know, it's it, you know, it, perseverance, that's what it is. But I couldn't decide at that moment, Greg, uh, and I'm sure you've had moments like this too, where it's like, am I doing this for me or is there really an opportunity here? Are people telling me it's good or are they just telling me what I want to hear? And uh, so, you know, I just ignored all of that. I ignored stats. I ignored everything and just kept on plugging away. And, you know, the great thing that happened is that I learned from all of these people that I spoke to. And that was, I think, the, the best thing that could have happened.
1: So at what point and how did you start monetizing? Because, I mean, like you said, you, you were confident this money was coming in back from this company. Did that happen? Uh, it did. Okay, so... It did. You're living off of the money that you got back from that and... Did you? What other sort of sacrifices did you make? I mean, did you ever end up having to sell your car or sell your house or do anything?
0: Uh, you know, there were sacrifices in other ways. No, we, we never sold our, our our car. We never sold our house. Um, for for a long time, we stopped paying stuff. That's for sure, right? And I think that's with everybody ran up credit card bills the size of Mount Everest, and and uh, you know lived lived hand to mouth. Um, not you know the kids would never have noticed it, but uh, but certainly the pressures were very 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 high. Um. So no but mortgaged to the Wazoo right um and and that was you know maybe 3 years ago and uh and you know we we both had uh, student debt that was still outstanding we, you know so it was this it's not easy right i think the kids felt it my kids certainly did in in the lack of vacations right we never went anywhere uh, other than in the city and and uh, maybe to a cottage or camping but, uh, you know, sacrifice is all over the place um, when it comes to comes to the family and uh, and doing things together. Um, but, yeah, I mean, we, we did everything that a classic entrepreneur would do, which is go and get a whole bunch of credit cards while the credit was available, uh, go and get a, a line of credit f- uh, from the bank, you know, while I still had the job. So these are pre-planning, right? And and because you knew that the, the time was imminent, so get prepared for it. Uh, so we had... What was coming from the company that was owed and then a um, little bit of severance uh, from, the, from those guys um, from the company and then a, a whack of credit that was our backup and that backup was what sustained
1: us so what how, at what point did you start figuring out how to monetize how did you monetize I know you said you do some consulting still yep yeah. um, how did you get to that
0: well uh, yeah consulting was always uh, was always there and um, it, it was always an easy way to to make a couple of dollars right so whenever you, you know the desperation set in it would I'd go out and get a consulting job and and it would be um, it would pay well and then I would uh, do that for maybe three months or four months and then come back to on Tether. Um, so consulting was always available and, and there's enough work there. I think that many people can use that as a, as a, uh, as a backup plan. I, I, um, I never wanted to be a consultant. I don't, I, you know, I'm now 43, about to be 44. I don't believe that I have enough knowledge, um, except for in very specific incidences around mobile and pervasive technology and wearables and all that kind of stuff to be able to help guide. Um, I had a mentor when I, was running Rove, uh, a guy by the name of Jim Roach. He was a near founder of a company called Newbridge, which sold for $12 billion. And then he was a founder of a company called Tundra that went public um, on the NASDAQ. And uh, so he, he... was a guy that I could look at and say, he's going to give me some great advice. He's going to help me guide what I was doing. And he did. He was an amazing, amazing mentor. And I didn't feel that I had that level of understanding about how to come in and save somebody's company. So I picked a niche in mobile. and um, And then it was very lucrative. And, and, but my, my passion still was with that untethered TV, that thing, you know, I was doing interviews every day. I was publishing them up and, and I was learning a whole bunch of new trades like video editing, which is not a really great one to learn this late in life. Um, <laughs> And so I, I did that, and then I started finding advertisers and sponsors that would come on, and uh, and and had a had a, a good business. It was probably doing about sixty or seventy k a year just in advertisers uh, on a small audience. And I and I I felt good about it at that moment. And this was probably about two years ago, um, where it started to kind of emerge into that uh, into that kind of, hey, you know what? I think I can make a business mentality out of this. Right. So,
1: D- um, did you? Uh, how was the, the advertising working? I mean, was it like more sponsorship where they were just playing like flat fees or were they down to impressions and downloads? What
0: were you doing for that? It was, it was uh, flat fees sponsorship. Okay. Um, you know, I I think that you have to have a little bit uh, when you're when you're selling that kind of stuff. You have to have a little bit of confidence. I never thought, I never really liked the idea of selling audience, um, mm-hmm. like selling impressions or views. And it was only video at that point, um, it, as it is today, right? So you're only getting the audience that is watching the videos, and it's a different type of sell because even now uh, sponsors and advertisers don't really understand that this is not like a, a clickable thing as much as it is an awareness thing. So, um, you know, it, it was a hard sell. I had some great, great, great sponsors, um, on, on the show. And, uh, but I had a crisis of conscience kind of two years ago, a, a year into this where, um, I felt that my, my voice was muted and I think every media company goes through this, I felt my voice was muted because one of my sponsors said to me, hey, listen, the company, that company you just uh, blasted over there is a really good partner and they weren't happy. And uh, so I felt that I was being not manipulated, but I I didn't know how to react to that other than shut down all sponsorship because I didn't want my voice to be muted. Uh, You know, I don't think that that's fair to the audience. Um, so I, I literally, Greg, two years ago, shut down a sponsorship and advertising didn't get Didn't go after any more. Just when, when those contracts expired, didn't renew, even though they wanted to. And I just said, no, no, I got to figure this out a little bit more.
1: So this was 2012.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: So what'd you do?
0: I went out to basically bust you cut
1: off cut off sponsorship. You and you were you doing consulting
0: still? I was yeah, I was definitely doing some consulting at that moment. It it I had to pick up consulting. Um and and during at that moment I thought uh maybe Untether is done. Maybe I'm not gonna do it anymore. Uh, you know, I still have maintained it. I, there hasn't been a day that I've missed an episode or a day that I've missed a publish or a week that I've missed publishing. Um, but my heart wasn't in it at that point. I thought, uh, you know what? That was fun. I, I love doing it, um, but there isn't a business in it. And uh, so kind of didn't emphasize it, you know, didn't update my the look and feel of the website for a year, just kind of pushed out content and, and hoped, didn't really market it uh, as I went after consulting gigs. And, uh, and you know, it was a pretty dark time, I'll tell you. It, it wasn't what I wanted to do. I just kept on looking over at that, the thing that I couldn't have, which was on tether.tv as a business. And I was being distracted along the way by everything else that was actually making money. It's a weird thing to say.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, like you didn't really want to be doing consulting. Like what sort of consulting were you doing and how, I mean, I would assume it took up most of your time.
0: It did. And, uh, you know, it wasn't scalable. I was, I spent uh, that, I spent 11 months working with uh, one of Canada's or Canada's largest publishing company, a company called Post Media up here in in Canada. They run 11 daily newspapers, uh, if you can believe it, across Canada. They touch, uh, Canada's a small population, but they touch about 11 million Uh, of uh of uh, the 33 million canadians up here so it's it's like a huge opportunity and they were exploring digital this digital first concept and i was trying to push on them that digital first doesn't cut it it's mobile it's mobile it's mobile mobile is going to kill you guys and you have to be ready for it so i spent 11 months pushing that rock up that hill trying to turn a billion dollar company into a mobile company and it was fun man like that was a blast um And, uh, and then, but it got me thinking about what I was saying about untether.tv. I was was trying to push them into that realm and I couldn't make the business work. So I thought, well, you know what? I, I, I gotta refocus. I gotta turn around and and take a look at untether.tv again. And, um, and you know, it, it had built an audience, a sizable audience while I was not, while I was neglecting it. And, um, and, you know, after my contract was done with Postmedia, Media, um, I turned my eyes back on to Untether.tv and my contract ended there uh, a year ago this past January. So,
1: what have you been doing since?
0: Well, that's it. Uh, you know, I I, I've, um, I I work with a couple of startups that I still have legacy relationships with, uh, some in the United States, and and they pay, and uh, and it's and it's good uh, fodder, right? My mortgage gets paid, my car gets paid uh, through uh, through some of these coaching groups that I that I that I or the coaching that I do with some of these companies, and the rest of the time has been squarely focused on untether.tv. You know, in that period of time. Um, I've added a new show, Uh, started to bring on sponsors, started to, uh, you know, um, I'm co-authoring a book with uh, one of my co-hosts, one of my podcast co-hosts. Um, and now uh, I'm starting to emerge into um, again going aggressively after sponsorship and uh, and new forms of uh, revenue through product and and um, but my you know I've built an audience I got a million people a year that uh, click play on some of this content on this content and and that's worth something to somebody and uh, you know it it, it was probably mid last year that I turned, I said, I'm gonna turn my focus. I'm gonna get it to a point where I can turn 100% of my focus onto untethered.tv for the first time, really, mm-hmm. undistracted and, uh, and have a go at it. Um, and really, 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 really turn this into a business. Or really, really, really put, put a bullet in its head and move on, right?
1: So do you, at this point right now, mm-hmm. do you still not feel like with where you're at that it's a
0: business? <laughs> I am now turning myself into thinking that approach, right? It's it's weird because it is a business. I mean, I've interviewed over 500 people. Uh, you know, I've done... Eleven 1, hundred podcasts, and I've written a thousand articles, and uh, you know I've co-authored two books, and and all around this space, and that to me is what I've received out of Untethered TV, and so it has been my MBA over the last four years in like in deep dive into mobile. It's also been a doc, you know, I've documented the rise of this industry. So I think of it as that way, as as this cultural piece uh, artifact of of the rise of mobile uh, in business, and. Uh, And I've watched as a lot of these companies that I've interviewed have exited for considerable sums, lots of money. Or I've watched as they've actually gone through the other side, which is just exited with their shorts. Um, But – and I think it's only been really that – since the beginning of this year, that I've thought this is this is now a business. I've I've now labeled myself as the founder of Untether.tv. TV. Um, I'm aggressively going after uh, sponsorship and and raising not venture dollars but funds for this uh, through other means. Um, and now I think I've almost gotten to the point, Greg. It's like therapy where I think that I'm not. I don't even know how to say this. It's like I'm not embarrassed about what I do. I'm very proud of the body of work that has become on Tether.TV. But it has literally taken that long to convince me in my head that this is a business that is worth pursuing. And, and my, you know, there are people out there that I meet with quite regularly, including my father, who said from the very beginning, he said, whatever you do, don't give up on this. And my brother, whatever you do, don't give up on this. And I have this mentoring group that I sit with um, once a month for dinner. And they're like – don't give up on it and uh and it was their encouragement that that kind of pushed me through this and and allowed me to uh to kind of I, I don't know start to feel confident and comfortable with the idea
1: How long have you been with that mentor group
0: uh three years three three and a half years so they were with me right we we formed that um right you know months before i left i left rove so just, it just
1: sounds so it sounds like that was pretty critical to
0: yes. Oh god, I mean I can't tell you enough. Like to have um people who will be honest with you and tell you straight. Like, "Woodbridge, you're being an idiot." Like that's what you need every once in a while. Um you need to knock be knocked down to uh you know, to reality and and that's what these guys did. And and the difference is amazing, Greg. I like you know, I I told you I, I opened this by saying I'm very interested in in running a publicly traded company. That was my goal, right? I didn't care what the company did. It was just I needed to see my name in the paper and be publicly traded. And uh, I wore, um, you know, I, I couldn't spend more on suits, right, or fancy clothes and shoes and belts and ties. And I, like I, it was it was that image of what I wanted to to do. And I, I used to watch Ron Zambanini, who was the CEO of Cognos uh, here in Ottawa, which was bought by IBM. Um and he said, like, you know, I have a jet, I have a helicopter. And I thought that's ex- I don't know if, if your listeners like that, but that's the that's what I wanted, right? I wanted to be busy all the time and important. And uh, what I realized four years later doing on tether.tv is that I wanna be present. I want to watch my kids have breakfast because it's one of the greatest things you can possibly do. I want to pick them up from school. I want their teachers to know who I am. I want my wife to remember that I'm still a husband and that, that I, you know, I'm capable of, of um, making a living doing what I'm doing. And, and most of all is that I love wearing jeans and sneakers and T-shirts, right? So that's the transition that's happened you know, in four years. And, and I, could, I don't know that I could ever go back to a cubicle or a desk or structure during the day because of what has what you know what I've done with Untether and and what's emerging there.
1: So I have a question for you. Yeah. <laughs> um, you said earlier, well, multiple times, you've mentioned just like how almost obsessed you were with the title of CEO. Yeah. Right. Yep. Yeah. And then you just said you finally got comfortable with saying that and not being embarrassed of Untether and saying that you're the founder of Untether. Why aren't you the founder and CEO of Untether?
0: <laughs> I think it's a great it's a great question. Um, you know, it, it's probably the same uh, when I took over Rove uh, and I started calling my, myself CEO. I always did it with a snicker, right? I didn't know what that meant, CEO, and um, and I, 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 it's probably the same with, with Untether. Um, you know, I have uh, two virtual assistants that help me uh, do a lot of the editing and uh, upkeep of the site. Um, and so, to lord over a CEO of my two virtual assistants, uh, you know, I I, I I don't care anymore about the title. What I care about is is quite honestly just putting out some semi decent content that will help some companies not make the same mistakes that others have done. Um, but CEO is not important to me anymore. Uh, founder, though, founder means that I've carved my arms up. I've bled for this company. And it's and uh, whatever happens to it, um, I, I want to make sure that I leave everything inside of this company. I don't want to be sitting, having a beer a couple of years from now thinking I wish I had done something differently. Um, so the founder part reminds me and everybody who's involved with me that that it's not just a little bit of skin in the game. I'm all in.
1: I like it. So, before I ask the last question, yeah, um, I mean, we've mentioned Untether TV a bunch, but where can people find out more about you and the other shows that you create?
0: The best place, you know, I say is, is untethered.tv. You can go to robwoodbridge.com. It'll just take you to the about page uh, of untethered.tv. Uh, you can follow me at Rob Woodbridge on Twitter. You can, you know, jump onto Facebook. Uh, I'm pretty easily found. Um, and uh, most often uh, do respond to emails. So you can reach out at rob at untethered.tv as well. But um, I, I'm easily found and that's exactly you know, what I enjoy about this entire world is that, uh, that everybody's accessible. And so am I.
1: Awesome. Well, we will link to all of that stuff in the show notes, um, at greghickman.me forward slash Rob Woodbridge. Um, so last question, um, now kind of the way you are, the guy who loves t-shirts, sneakers, and, uh, jeans and doesn't care about the, the CEO title if you could go, ba- if you could go back to talk to Rob while he was at Rove, um, what would you what would you tell him? What would you maybe tell him to do differently, or if you would tell him to do anything different? Or would you give him any advice? And if so, what would it be? Oh, there's
0: so much, Greg. This is like a great therapy session, man. I I I appreciate this. Can we do this weekly? I'll pay you. Sure, yeah, <laughs> yeah. let's do it. Um, you know, it was. Uh, the, the only thing I could say to that guy um that was not indicative of me I mean I, that was not who i was uh i I'm not sure where i I got off my path, but you know in the early nineties, I spent two years traveling through Southeast Asia. I came back without a pulse, right long hair, I didn't care about anything um and and my only goal was to get back to traveling to southeast asia and uh and I never made it um but somewhere along the lines, I got lost in that in that kind of hubris of title, and and I think every young, uh, you know, aspiring person goes through that, where where you're validated by the title, and and I'll never forget this. One of the companies that I co-founded, um, way back in in the '90s, was this company called uh animatics and and the creative director's name is mark yuri and he and he just he struck me like he just said to me once he said rob you're the kind of guy that identifies you you with the title that you hold and at some point in your life you're going to realize that that is not the case the title is the title and you are completely different and as long as you understand the parts there you will be fine and i got lost in the title And I think so if I went back and talked to myself back then, I would just say like I would give myself a shake and I'd say like, okay, first, don't put any money in this company. Don't be an idiot and don't take it this seriously. This is just a job. Do the things that are in your heart that are making that make sense, not the things that you think the title should be doing. And um, I'll never forget that advice. You are not the title. That's just a that's just a part you play.
1: Rob that was awesome uh thank you so much for for sharing with us being super transparent as you were and, and definitely vulnerable <laughs> um, you know we are all definitely better for that we all have you know a lot of us listening are going through similar situations you know we feel the same way we feel like we're alone and you know it's kind of what I've found to be like very common in a lot of entrepreneurs you know that um imposter syndrome um that was yeah. talked about by, uh, John Lee Dumas in the first episodes, you know, we always think we're not good enough and there's always going to be, you know, that upper limit problem of even when we are successful, we're going to be, Oh, but I did this or I didn't do that well. And, you know, it's just getting through those. And I think, uh, obviously you've, you continue to, to persevere. So, uh, thank you for sharing your story. We really appreciate it and, uh, look forward to chatting with you soon.
0: Thank you, Greg. Thanks for letting me vent. I really appreciate it. Thanks for listening. If you
1: enjoyed this episode, be sure to head on over to greghickman.me forward slash newsletter to subscribe to the private email newsletter where I share exactly how I've grown my business mobile mix to the point where I could leave my full-time job. Take care.